Hello and welcome to the podcast for a brand new journal, The Lancet Global Health. I'm Richard Lane and it's Tuesday, June the 25th. The Lancet Global Health is brand new, it's online only, it's open access and it's all very exciting and of course it's carrying on the deep tradition that The Lancet has for global health coverage so that's absolutely fantastic. I won't go on because the editor of The Lancet Global Health, Zoe Mullen, and The Lancet's editor, Richard Horton, have put together quite an entertaining video explaining the background to the new journal and uh, the future aims and aspirations. So do check that out on thelancet.com. But in this inaugural podcast, we're going to hear from the author of a fantastic study, and this is looking at cataract surgery in less developed countries. Earlier, I spoke to one of the authors of this paper, Professor Nathan Congdon, from the John Chang Ophthalmic Center, that is the largest eye hospital in China. He also works for for Orbis International, a major NGO in the field of blindness prevention. Professor Congdon, many thanks indeed for speaking to The Lancet Global Health. You're one of the authors of a study, and this is looking at the very important issue of cataract surgery in low-income countries. Generally speaking, are there good programs set up for cataract surgery in uh, low-income settings? Well, it's a great question, uh, Richard. And, and the fact is that there are some places that do a terrific job. One of the the largest eye hospital in the entire world, the Aravind Eye Hospital in southern India, does uh, nearly half a million uh, cataract surgeries a year and has outcomes that are as, as good as any center in uh, in Europe or the United States. The problem is that once we get away from the cities and get into more rural areas, we often find that the quality of surgery uh, declines rather precipitously. There's quite a lot of evidence now to show that outcomes from cataract surgery are often quite poor in the developing world uh, for a variety of reasons. Partly the uh, selection of cases may be poor. Uh, Partly the uh, surgery itself may run into complications. There may be inadequate uh, equipment uh, to be able to make measurements to get accurate lenses to put into the eye, and then finally follow-up uh, may be poor. So for all of those reasons, we, we, we often see pretty poor uh, quality. The key, I think most of us would agree, to trying to deal with the world's leading cause of blindness, which can in fact be dealt with with a 20-minute operation, is to carry out uh, more training. Uh, we need more doctors in rural areas. The the problem is that when we want to train these doctors, we have to be able to uh, keep a handle on quality. Cataract surgery, uh, although it uh, is a relatively brief operation, if it's not done well, uh, can have uh, really terrible results. Uh, You can have uh, significant complications and infections that can lead to blindness. What's been missing in our approach to this problem has been the ability to accurately measure those outcomes and to know how well a cataract operation has turned out. And the reason for that is relatively simple. Patients tend not to come back after surgery. We get very low rates of fall, as low as 20% in a lot of parts of the world. What we were uh, keen to do in this study was to try to figure out a way where we could measure uh, the outcomes, even in a setting where very few patients came back. We looked at two fairly obvious solutions to that problem. One, was to measure the vision at the time when the patient left the hospital the day after surgery. Many of these hospitals have patients coming from long distances away, and even though in the developed world we usually treat cataract surgery as an outpatient procedure, in many parts of the developing world patients will stay in the hospital for a day or two after surgery because they have a long trip home. We took advantage of that and measured the vision of the day after surgery before the patients left hospital on all of our patients in this study. The other method that we looked at 
we ask the question, well, what about those patients who do come back? Let's say it's only 20% or 25%. What if we at least measure the vision of those patients uh, after a couple of months, once the, uh, the eye has uh, properly healed, and see what, uh, see what we get? Now, we, we knew at the outset that the patients who come back might not at all be representative. You can easily imagine that a patient who comes back two months after the operation, when only 20% return, a patient like that might be coming back because they're really unhappy, the eye is hurting, they're having uh, bad complications, or alternatively, maybe they're happy. Maybe they, they, they really think the, uh, the result of the surgery is great and they just want to shake the doctor by the hand. But either way, it's easy to think how those patients uh, might not at all be representative of the full cohort of patients that were operated at a hospital. So we were eager to find out. We wanted to know whether the uh, patients who came back would be representative, would give us useful information about the whole hospital uh, cohort. And we also wanted to know whether the vision that was measured at the time of discharge would give us useful information. Now, we know that vision improves after cataract surgery. And so the idea wasn't that we would, uh, that the vision wouldn't change between the day after surgery and two or three months after surgery. Our hypothesis was that a hospital who was doing really well, who ranked high among all of the hospitals in our cohort at the time, based on the vision at the time of discharge, would also be a hospital who would rank high based on final vision. That was our hypothesis. Now, in order to test that hypothesis, to be able to find out any of these things, what we had to do was a piece of hard work. Uh, in order to compare the vision for uh, patients who, at the time of discharge, or to compare the uh, vision of the few patients who came back after surgery, we needed to have a gold standard. And that gold standard was the fully healed vision, the vision uh, a couple of months after surgery on all of the patients who had been operated at a hospital. So what that meant in this setting is that our collaborators in uh, these 40 hospitals around the world had to actually go out to patients' homes yeah, I was uh, one by one and find them. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. This is fascinating. I just wanted to briefly ask you about that because just logistically this study is fascinating. 40 hospitals, as you've mentioned, but across 10 developing countries. Just give examples of those countries and just logistically must have been quite a challenge to do the study. Absolutely. For example, in Africa, we had Eritrea and Ethiopia. Well, those two countries don't get along. So when I went there, I had to go, when I was flying from Eritrea to Ethiopia, which are right next door to each other, I had to go via Rome. There was a lot of logistic issues. We, I went out as the principal investigator and gave um, introductions uh, to the teams that would be working for all of the hospitals in each of these countries. So that meant uh, traveling to uh, Vietnam, to uh, uh, Indonesia, uh, traveling around China, uh, going to India, uh, going to Latin America, and then taking these trips to Africa as well. The logistics involved, first of all, of course, finding these hospitals. We worked through non-governmental organizations that are uh, interested in, uh, in blindness prevention. They introduced us to a number of hospitals. These hospitals were really carried the weight of this project. I, I think one of the things that this project showed to me is that if you do research where uh, local partners understand the value and the importance of what they're doing for their day-to-day -day practice, you'll find that they're willing to do quite a lot. So without having a lot of resources, we didn't have a million-dollar budget for this study. The total cash outlay for this study was 
maybe uh, 20 or 30,000 US dollars. The study was really paid for by sweat equity. These hospitals uh, understood the importance of being able to measure quality for themselves, and they were uh, eager to put in the time uh, to go out uh, to the uh, homes for all of these patients. And when we talk about going to these patients' homes, of course, we're not talking about taking the subway or the, uh, the, the metro or the, the underground uh, to go. We're talking, in many cases, about driving for hours and hours and hours over uh, bumpy or non-existent roads in order to uh, track down uh, patients one or two at a time. So the amount of effort involved in these partner hospitals was extraordinary. And the range of them was really quite interesting as well. We had tiny hospitals that might do, you know, one or two cataract operations a week in uh, rural areas of Vietnam uh, to hospitals like Aravind uh, that I mentioned to you previously before we began recording, the largest eye hospital in the world. Uh, that, uh, that, that hospital is a set of five different hospitals that performs nearly half a million surgeries a year. So. We, we literally were going from the smallest to the largest, and we included uh, public and private hospitals, uh, rural and urban hospitals. It was really quite a broad range of uh, different participants because we wanted to demonstrate that these results would be broadly applicable, not just at one type of facility, but at uh, a broad range of different types of facilities. Great. Thank you very much for that. And just fairly briefly, if you would, because we want people to read the papers as well as listen to our podcast. So just tell us what it is you were looking for, the way, you know, in terms of the design of the study, and clearly tell us about the main findings. What we were interested to do was to prove that these two strategies that we looked at, the strategy of measuring vision at the time of hospital discharge for all patients, and the strategy of measuring late vision after several weeks of healing among those few patients who came back we wanted to see how effective those strategies would be in assessing uh, the performance of a hospital. Our gold standard that we compared those strategies to was the vision of uh, all patients who were operated at a hospital uh, after uh, a period of at least six weeks of healing. What we found was that both strategies performed extremely well. We had a very high uh, correlation on the order of uh, 0.7 was the correlation for early vision with, uh, with late vision in terms of uh, between ho at the hospital level. And uh, the correlation uh, for uh, those, the vision of those patients who came back versus the vision of all patients uh, was 0.85. And we found that those correlations uh, continued to be quite robust, quite strong, even when we looked at hospitals, the half of hospitals who had uh, fewer than half of their patients coming back, or even when we looked at um, those hospitals who had fewer than 30% of patients returning, we still found a correlation of about 0.7. What that tells us is that we have, uh, when we collect this very simple information on ho at the time of hospital discharge, or collect the information on those few patients who do come back, it gives us a very powerful ability to predict how well the hospital is doing. So we, we do have tools. We've validated now tools that can be used for hospitals to assess how well they're doing. We were also very pleased to see that the, uh, these tools worked, whether or not patients were measured for classes to, uh, uh, to, to optimize the vision. Measuring, measurements for glasses are complicated and difficult to make. They require expensive machinery or many years of training. The fact that those measurements didn't need to be made in order for these 
data to be usable was very encouraging for us. We also found that we looked at many different types of surgery. And even among the older types of surgery with larger incisions that are slower to heal, we still found that these early vision measurements were highly predictive of how well patients would do. We came up with a uh, package, really, of two tools that hospitals can use, even in settings where it's not possible to measure patients for glasses, and even in settings where relatively old-style uh, large incision surgery is still being done. And we feel that uh, these data will provide an opportunity for WHO and some of these other organizations to change their standards for how vision is measured moving forward. That was my last question, actually. What happens next, really? Is it about getting better coverage, getting more cataract surgery done, or is it about using this evaluation method to clarify and to confirm to people that they've got a way of measuring the accuracy and the effectiveness of the surgery? So what, what is it about, improving quality or extending coverage? The two are are, are deeply, deeply connected, uh, and it's, it's not difficult to imagine. We've done a number of studies, as have others, that have demonstrated that the key to bringing patients in to have cataract surgery done is the quality of surgery. Patients in developing areas are quite dependent on word-of-mouth advertising to decide to have surgery at a particular facility. They've got a very clear idea of whether things are being done well or not. Improving the quality is critical to getting those patients in. The coverage will only go up when the quality is improved. You can't have quality, you can't guarantee quality unless you can measure quality. And we now have a kit of tools, basically, that we can use to measure that quality. Several of the NGOs that supported this work, including some NGOs that weren't originally involved, have committed to providing funding now for us to take this work onto its next phase, to get together a committee of experts and take the results of this Lancet paper and put them onto basically a laminated card, something that you could hang next to a slit lamp in a small rural hospital so that uh, hospitals and providers can know exactly what they need to measure and exactly how they need to measure it and can also know the standards. One of the exciting things about this work is that we were able, based on these 40 hospitals, to say, here's the exact level you need to get to in order to be considered to be doing well. We're able to, based on the information we have from a selection of 40 hospitals around the world, we're able to tell you what constitutes good results. We want to put that information out there, how to collect the information, how to know whether you're doing well or not, and get that into the hands of hospitals and providers. We plan to work through the World Health Organization, through the various NGOs that sponsored this work to begin with, through uh, the uh, professional societies. There's an umbrella group of professional societies called the ICO, or International Council of Ophthalmology, and we want to work with them as well to uh, make sure that uh, ophthalmic societies around the world uh, are able to put this information out there. So we're very uh, encouraged and excited. This is uh, an example of a study which was uh, done because the partners, the, the people who really uh, carried it out, the hospitals who carried the weight, uh, thought it was worth doing. And uh, we've had some very exciting results. Uh, we now have a group of people who are committed to do what we should all be doing, which is take those results and now cycle them back to the people who carried out this work and to the uh, other partner hospitals and other contemporary hospitals out there who need this information. Very interesting. Good to be talking about cataract surgery. I'm, I've been at the Lancet many, many years, and I think it's the first time we've talked about cataract surgery, so that's great. And also congratulations for, for being the first author interviewed for the Lancet Global Health podcast. Well, that's exciting for me. That's, uh, that's terrific news. It's, uh, 
Um, you know, the, the, the Lancet name obviously carries a lot of weight, and there's no question that having this article appear in the maiden issue of uh, Lancet Global Health uh, has really helped to increase our uh, visibility within the, uh, uh, the the communities where we work. So that's it's been been, been terrific. We're, we're very excited to be uh, partnering with Lancet Global Health and, and getting this information out there. Thank you very much, Professor Nathan Congdon. Many thanks indeed for talking to the Lancet Global Health. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. Do look up the article and all the other content in the first issue of The Lancet Global Health. Look forward to talking to you next time.